The return that fight fans have been waiting for is finally here. UFC's most notorious icon, Conor McGregor, is stepping back into the octagon this Saturday to take on Dustin Poirier in a historic rematch. Be sure to check out DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC for a shot to turn $1 into $257. That's right, new users can bet $1 on McGregor to win by knockout in the first round, and if he does, you will be cashing in $257. Bet a little, win a lot. It's really just that simple. While we're all excited about the weekend's premier UFC bout, let's not forget football is in the midst of their playoffs, so head to the app to check out the great playoff promotions going on right now at DraftKings as the playoffs reach the conference finals before the Super Bowl. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $257 if McGregor wins by first-round knockout. Place your bet and watch the fists fly this weekend. That is code THPN for new players to get $257 if McGregor wins by first-round knockout. For a limited time only, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. everybody to another edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast, your home for everything Colorado Avalanche and brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host as always, Griffin Youngs. I hope you are all doing well as we get well into the season and I hope you're ready for this one because we've got a jam-packed episode coming up today. We've got the Ian Cole trade to take a look at. We've got the Avs game against the Kings from last night to take a look at. We've got a back-to-back against the Kings and the Ducks coming up on Thursday and Friday. And speaking of the Ducks, I joined the fine folks at the Quack Report podcast to preview the Avalanche's upcoming two matchups with the Anaheim Ducks on Friday and over the weekend. Well, let's just jump right into it, and let's start with the big news, trades. Everyone loves trades, even if they're not even if they're not blockbusters. Trades are always just very interesting. And this is one that we kind of saw coming, based on some of the reports that came out a few weeks ago. But personally, I wasn't expecting this to happen so soon into the season. I predicted that this would happen maybe around the trade deadline. But the Colorado Avalanche have traded Ian Cole to the Minnesota Wild in exchange for Greg Patteron. Yes, that is the entire trade. The trade, as they say, is one for one. Ian Cole to Minnesota. Avalanche retained $800,000 on Cole's $4.25 million cap hit. 
but the Avs are saving $1.2 million in cap space with the trade because Patterson's cap hit is 2.25, and both of these contracts will expire at the end of the season. Now, before I break down this trade deeper, I want to make one thing very clear about it. The Minnesota Wild are getting the better player in this trade, and the Colorado Avalanche are not. Let's, let's just get that out of the way and make that very clear before everything else that I say about this trade. Ian Cole is a better hockey player than Greg Patteron. He's had a better career. He's had a better year last year than Patteron, and Greg Patteron is... He plays most games. He's a sixth, seventh defenseman for the most part, but... Really, the Avalanche were not meant to win this trade. They did not make this trade to win it, if that makes any sense. The Avalanche were really caught off guard, I think, by just how well Bo Byram played in the World Juniors, and then Connor Timmons proved that he is very much NHL-ready in training camp. So all of a sudden, the Avalanche had eight very good defensemen to play in their lineup. And all of a sudden, Ian Cole is potentially your seventh or maybe even eighth best defenseman, depending on just how good Byram is. And Ian Cole makes $4.25 million. And that's a lot of money to pay for a guy who's likely not going to be playing in 75% of the games this season with Timmons and Byram, depending on how good Byram is. And something that I didn't even notice until this trade was made is that the Avs are all of a sudden right up against the salary cap, and that's something that has not been said about the Avalanche for a long time. As of right now, after the Greg Patteron trade and after the Avalanche saving cap space, they are less than 500000 away from the salary cap ceiling. And so this move also gives them just the flexibility to do more with their lineup and to bring more expensive players off the taxi squad or just bring more players into the lineup to be healthy scratches or insurance policies in the meantime. So yes, when you look at this verbatim, you can say the Wild are winning this trade and the Avalanche are losing the trade, but... In this kind of trade, that doesn't really matter because for the Avs, this was about clearing some cap space and clearing up a logjam because now Greg Patteron is your eighth best defenseman and you can put Byram and Timmons into the lineup as you need them. And Ian Cole is not there to block them from getting in at this point. And now Ian Cole has the opportunity to get consistent minutes every night in Minnesota. And this is just my speculation, but I imagine Ian Cole maybe wanted to be traded. Once all this started happening with Byram potentially rumored to make the team a few weeks ago, and then Timmons impressing in training camp and making the team, I'm sure either Joe Sackick or Jared Bednar sat him down and explained the situation to him. And I'm sure they came to some kind of agreement that it might be best for them to look for somewhere else to go for Cole. And I think that's exactly what happened. 
I don't think Cole didn't want to be here. I think he was very excited to be here this year and have a shot at winning a third Stanley Cup, but that's just not how it worked out. And when you have already won two Stanley Cups and you're 31 right now, I think you want to play. You don't want to take 75% of the year off. You want to go and play consistent minutes. And Ian Cole, he did he did his job when he was a member of the Avs. He was signed in 2018. And when he was signed, he did his job exactly as we needed him to. But as this team is constructed right now, we just we just didn't need him anymore. And again, I'm surprised at how fast this trade happened. I suspected this would happen later, but if this was going to happen, why wait? Just knock it out now. Don't have this be a distraction that holds the team back just not just knock it out and get it over with and that's what they did so yes the wild are getting the better player here but that's not to say that the abs made a bad trade not at all i think this trade works very well for them and pattern when he whenever he does get into the lineup i'm sure he'll do just fine he's not gonna be a game changer or anything like that i think that's very clear He's never scored more than one goal in a season in his NHL career, and the last time he scored a goal was the 2018-19 season in his first season with the Wild. Last season he had a lot of injuries and only played in 20 games. But in three games with the Wild this season before getting dealt, he had two assists for two points. I mean, I wouldn't expect him to do that in Colorado, but... It's encouraging to see at least his defensive metrics are not at all bad when you look at some of his analytics he's a very defensively sound player just with basically no offense to speak of he has actually very strong defensive metrics according to Jay Fresh Hockey his even strength defensive percentage is 62 percent as in 62nd percentile so he's his offense is 11%, almost bottom 10 in the league, but you're not playing Greg Patteron for the offense. Brings a lot of physicality to the table. He's o- he's almost kind of a lighter version of Ian Cole. They're not really comparable players, but in terms of what you can expect them to bring on a nightly basis, you can pretty much expect that. I mean, and odds are you're probably not even going to ever notice Greg Patteron when he's on the ice, and that's pretty much, quite frankly, a good thing. I, I would be shocked if he scored a goal. I mean, he certainly can score a goal with the team. You just never know with hockey. But I wouldn't expect him to do much when he's on the ice, just be sound defensively, hold down the fort, and unless there's injuries, he's probably not getting in for multiple games at a time at very least not more than three at a time because this opens the door for Bowen Byram to start playing games and for Connor Timmons to consistently stay in the lineup as well because as it was reported earlier Bowen Byram is going to make his NHL debut on Friday I believe against the Ducks so we'll we'll finally see what Byram can bring to the table in the NHL. And as for Connor Timmons, 
he's looked excellent in the first two games or three games now that he's played. And if you look at his stats, they're not good. Zero points and a minus two. But when you watch him on the ice, you can see that he he looks great. He look, he's focused. He's moving the puck very well. He also just hasn't played a ton yet. And I'm sure a lot of that will be figured out as the season goes on. And that's just going to be up to Jared Bednar. But I suspect as the season goes on, we're going to see a lot more of Connor Timmins, and I think he's going to prove that he belongs. He's already proved he's an NHL defenseman, and I think we're going to see him prove that he belongs in the league as well. So basically, just to sum up, yes, the Minnesota Wild are getting the better player in this trade, and the Avalanche are not. But overall, I don't think that was the point. The point was to clear up that roster spot. Even though Patteron's coming back, Patteron is clearly defined to be lower in the lineup than Byram and Timmons, unless he proves otherwise, and he proves out to just be an absolute perfect fit, which I guess could happen, but I'd be shocked. And he just fits in that eighth defenseman spot better than Ian Colwood. He makes less money. The Avs get more space to make more moves during the season, even if it's just in-house roster moves. I'm not talking trades or waiver pickups or anything like that. I, I doubt the Avalanche actually end up doing much of that this season. But it just gives the Avs more room to do what they want. And it allows Ian Cole to go to Minnesota and get more playing time. So, yes, the Wilder gained the better player, but in the end, I think everybody wins here. No, I'm not just... Bias, like, oh, the Avs, they can't lose a trade. If you look at Everbam, they are losing the trade, but I don't think they care about that. I don't think it was about winning the trade and getting Patteron in a second-round pick. It was about clearing space and doing it as soon as possible, and it just works for everybody. Now Byram can get in, and Timmons can earn a permanent spot in the lineup. Joe Sackett can make more moves with his team. Ian Cole can go play in Minnesota and get consistent third pair minutes, and the Wild get an upgrade on their third pair. There really is no loser here. I think everything works out just fine for all sides. And as for moves that the Avalanche make during the season, this might be one of the last major ones we see probably for a while. There's really not much here that I would suspect is going to be changed during the season. There is always the possibility of going out and finding another goalie. I mean, Elliot Friedman's hinted at it a couple times that if the Avalanche don't like what they're seeing from their goaltending, they might go out and fix that and just go out and add another goalie if maybe they don't like what they see from Grubauer or Francois. But I, again, like I mentioned before, I really don't see that happening. Grubauer is a solid starter. Francois is a solid backup and unless injuries take hold, which is a possibility, I don't see I don't see them going out and upgrading. Because it's it's also just gonna be hard to find a good goalie to trade for. Because if you have a good goalie, why are you trading them? they they just don't become available. So I don't really think that's going to happen. And actually, in the few minutes that I've been talking about this, the Avalanche have actually cleared up a bit of space by moving Dennis Gilbert off of their main squad. He played last night against the Kings, and the Avs, the Avs played seven defensemen against the Kings, and Dennis Gilbert was one of them. So that's why their cap space was so low. 
So now they have about $1,358,000 worth of cap space. And while that's more than it is, or was, this move still allows them to have more space to you know, finagle the roster and do the things that they want, even if they're not right up against the cap. Because right now they have the seven defensemen on the roster right now. But this also, keep in mind, this is not including Bowen Byram yet. Bowen Byram is still on the taxi squad and is not counting as a cap hit as of yet. Once Bowen Byram comes up to this roster, that cap hit is going to go down again. And if they're going to run this season with eight defensemen, that cap hit or cap space for the whole team is going to go back down to under 500000 And at that point, you can't do anything else because the minimum a player can be making and the minimum against the cap is 700000 So if you're under 700000 you basically can't do anything after that point. So they have the room to put Byram up as the eighth defenseman, and clearing up all that salary cap allows them to do that. And... If they want a 13th forward on offense, they might, they just might not be able to do it without some serious salary cap wizardry from Sackick, which I'm totally sure he is capable of doing because he's Joe Sackick and he does wizard-like things like that on a regular basis. But that's about it for the Cole trade. Yes, Greg Pattern's not as good as Ian Cole, but like I said, it's not the point. Everyone wins in this scenario. The Avs have more room. The Wild are getting an upgrade. Ian Cole's getting his ice time. Really nothing to be upset about, and I doubt we'll hear much of this trade again because I don't really think Pattern's going to play many games, and when he does, I suspect he'll be fine, solid defensively. Probably won't score any goals. Maybe he'll score one, but outside of that... He'll be fine. Really not much else to report from him, and I suspect Cole will be fine in Minnesota, just like he was in Colorado. He's the kind of player that you know what to expect from every night. But now moving on to the Colorado Avalanches game on Tuesday night against the Los Angeles Kings. The Avalanche win 3-2 to two over the LA Kings, a game that got a little close late. Avs are up three to nothing, and the Kings score two goals in the third period to make it close towards the end, but the Avs hold on and survive to win the game by a final score of three to two. And actually quite a few talking points to bring up from this game and what I was kind of expecting to be a rather un- Noteworthy game turned out to have some importance to it for the Avs. Most notably, Nathan McKinnon scores his 500th point in the NHL, becoming the sixth active player to reach 500 points before age 26. And you want to know the know the players that he's joining in that club? Alex Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby, Steven Stamkos, Evgeny Malkin, and Patrick Kane. That's a pretty good group, if I say so myself. He got two assists in the game. He was at 498 coming into the night, picked up two assists, and he hit the milestone on a Miko Rantanen goal 
to put the Avalanche ahead 3 to nothing in the second period. That is just going to be the beginning of many milestones, I think, for Nathan McKinnon this season. 500 points already. I know he's been around for a while now. I know, I guess we can't really consider Nathan McKinnon to be young anymore now that he's 25, you know, the the ripe old age of 25. But yeah, he's been around for a long time now. What is it? Eight se- this is his eighth season? I mean, I guess it makes sense that he's at 500 points in eight seasons, but he's played 528 games, and he's already at 500 points. That is crazy. Nathan, he is a monster. Nathan McKinnon's just a monster. Every time Nathan McKinnon does something this season, I'm going to just say the same thing. Nathan McKinnon is a monster. And he's got the one goal so far this season. He's got four assists, five points in three games. That is, and he joins a very exclusive club as only the sixth other player in active player in the league to reach 500 points before he turns 26. That is impressive. Also notable for the Avs last night, Brandon Saad gets on the board with his first goal as a member of the Colorado Avalanche since being acquired in a trade with the Chicago Blackhawks. Over the offseason, he cleans up a loose puck in front to get the Avs on the board early in the first period. And great to see Saad finally getting on the board. I mean, hasn't been super noticeable in these the first two games against St. Louis. Didn't look great in the first game alongside Landeskog and Kadri. But in that second game, he looked better. Came a bit closer and tonight he finally gets rewarded he's right there on the net and cleans up in front and outside of the goal he scored he didn't he didn't do much else but scoring a goal is pretty important when it comes to winning a hockey game so not much to complain about with him so far hopefully he finds a groove with this team soon and we can start to see him bang in a few more with this team because I I still believe he's the perfect fit with this team with his skill set but it for a lot of players it'll take a while to really just get used to a system I mean this is only his third game with the team and he's already got a goal so not a whole lot to complain about yet but hopefully we can just see a little bit more consistency out of him again only the one goal in the three games a minus four plus minus is a tough stat to look at but it doesn't, really, it doesn't tell you the whole story at all, but with the Avs winning 8 to nothing over the Blues the other night, you would think that would give some players a boost in the plus-minus department, and Saad's still at a minus 4. But he was in the right place at the right time for that goal and cleaned it up, and he's on the board now, and maybe that can help jumpstart him to start potting a few more points and goals throughout the season as well. And while we're on the topic of off-season acquisitions for the Avalanche, Devon Tays has been excellent in these first three games. Yes, it looks good because he's scoring goals as well. He scored the Avalanche's third goal, or the second goal, to put them up two to nothing. And he scored against the Blues in that second game as well. But outside of that, he has still looked absolutely excellent. He has been definitely one of the 
best players on the ice so far for the Avalanche. He looks so confident with the puck. He's got such speed when he has the puck. He's great at moving it. And as we've seen, his slap shot, when he gets all of it, is lethal. It is very, very dangerous. I mean, I just feel I feel safe when he's on the when he's on the ice. I feel like he is always a threat to score with that slap shot. It's his second power play goal of the season. He's on that second power play unit. And he's making great use of that slap shot. He is just so versatile. And there's just not a lot of stuff he can't do so far with this team. I am extraordinarily impressed with Devontae's. And like like I said a few episodes ago, I really think that is one of the best moves that Joe Sackick has made during his time as Avs GM outside of the Matt Duchesne trade, of course, but Devontae's is just a perfect acquisition for this team, and it is already working out. He looks great alongside Kel McCarr, and let's not forget how good McCarr has looked as well. I'm sure it also helps to have a partner like Taze as well, but again, I'm really, really impressed with Devontae's, and I'm really, really excited to see him over the course of a full season, and I'm, and I'm glad we locked him up in the offseason as well, instead of waiting for the end of the season to see what he's worth, because now we've got him this year and three years after that, and I know I'm looking at a three-game sample size for a four-year contract, but I'm very excited to see the rest of this contract. He's still 26 years old. He'll be probably just turning 30 when this contract expires, but I love what I've seen from this guy so far. He has been the perfect addition, and I hope he stays healthy, and I hope he stays on that top pair with Makar. He's the kind of player that can push a defense to another level. Just the just the perfect, perfect partner for Makar. I don't think I can say it enough. But looking back at the game as a whole, truthfully, I know I just praised the abs up and down the ice. Truthfully, I was not overly impressed by this game, if I'm being honest. The Avalanche, they went up 1-0 early because of the Brandon Sod goal, and between the time from that Sod goal and the Taze goal a bit later in the second period, the Kings took over for some portions of this game, and if it wasn't for Philip Grubauer standing strong, the Kings might have tied this game or even taken the lead at some point. They were playing very well, and they controlled the puck, they had possession a lot, and you could see in the third period that the Avs kind of let off the gas a little bit, and the Kings made them pay. And you can not, not do that ever in the NHL. You can not take your foot off the gas at any point against any other team in the NHL. They will make you pay 10 times out of 10. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be last year's Red Wings. They'll still make you pay if you let off the gas. You need to play a full 60 minutes. And the Avs, they played well for stretches of this game. And when they did, they scored and they took the lead. But they let off in the third period. Anthony Sioux got one past Grubauer, not Grubauer's fault. But they, it was deflection, open stick right in front of the net and he had to he had to stand up strong late in the game after the Kings made it 3 to 2 on the goal from Adrian Kempe and that's not good 
I mean, it's it's going to happen over the course of a season. You're going to have stretches that just aren't great in a game, but the Avalanche had no excuse against the Kings to be doing that. They should have been in complete control of this game, and even when they broke through with those two goals in the second period, it kind of it bailed them out because you could see the Kings were taking control for stretches of this game, and that should not happen for a team as good as the Avalanche playing a team like the Kings. And yes, the Kings, like I said, are an NHL team, and you can't let up ever, no matter how good you are and how bad they are. But when you compare these rosters, that should not happen. The Kings ended up finishing with the lead in shots. If I remember the shot totals correctly, the Kings had 25 shots, and the Avalanche had 26. And the Avalanche were bailed out by their power play in that second period. They got the power play goal from Devontae's and the power play goal from Miko Rantanen a few less than two minutes later. And they went two for six on their power play while the Kings went one for three. So when you really look at five on five, the Kings had a bit of the advantage. In, in even strength scoring, it was 1-1. The Kings got a power play goal from Kempe and their first goal from Anthony Siu was at even strength, and so was Brandon Sods for the Avalanche. So I think the Avs still need to show me something in this rematch against the Kings coming up on Thursday, Thursday night. Because the Kings played very well, and there were portions, like I said, where they were shutting down the Avs, whether it be guys like McKinnon or Kadri, and Nazem Kadri, and he did not look great last night. In that third period, he could have had two goals. He missed a wide open net and took a penalty in the third period that led to that Adrian Kempe goal. And he could have made it 4-2. He had Cal Peterson down in the other cage and he missed the net. And then he missed a wide open empty net to seal the game. But for Nazem Kadri, he started like this last year too with the Avs after being acquired just... He's usually a bit of a slow starter, even if you go back to his time with the Leafs. It, it usually takes him a few games to really get going. So hopefully he can kind of shake himself out of this funk and get back to that form of Nazem Kadri that we saw in the playoffs that was just a complete monster. I mean, and obviously Kadri's been fine to start the season. I'm not saying he's been bad, but last night he... He missed some opportunities, and he made some mistakes, and those should not be overlooked. Those mistakes ended up costing the team, and it made this game unnecessarily close. Because it's something I said on earlier episodes, there are expectations on this team now. And when there are expectations, you are expected to meet them. And when you don't, that's when people start to get upset. And when you play a team like the Kings, the expectation is that you will win, and you will dominate them. And the Avs did one of those things. They won, but they did not dominate the Kings. The Kings played them very well, and the Avalanche did not play to the best of their ability, which they will not be able to get away with all the time. Every once in a while, yes, you can get away with that, unfortunately. When you're the Avs, you can do that against a team like the Kings and maybe get away with it. Maybe. But the Kings... As we saw in that third period, they were right in this game. And I want the Avs on Thursday to go out 
and play a full 60-minute game. Because they will win if they do that. There are really only Vegas is the team if we play a full 60-minute game that could even possibly match us if they play their best as well. And even then, maybe only half the time. Every other team, and this does include St. Louis, if you play to your best, they will not be able to beat you. Yes, you're going to run into a hot goalie every now and again. As I'll bring up later in my interview with the Quack Report guys, John Gibson's a very good goalie, and there's a real possibility that he could stand on his head alongside that solid defense and steal a game. And that wouldn't be the Avs' fault. But a game like this, if they lost this game, that would have been entirely their fault. Because they let off the gas against the Kings, and the Kings made them pay. Yes, they held on, and they won. But it shouldn't be... Should, no one should be firing confetti cannons for this game. They should beat the Kings. That is the expectation. You should beat the Kings every time. I would accept no more than one loss to the Kings this entire season. There is no excuse to ever lose to the Kings as the Colorado Avalanche. Now, I'm not, I'm not mad at this game. I want to make that clear. I'm not mad at the Avs for how they played in this game. I just, I'm making an observation that they did not play to the best of their ability. And that's going to happen some nights. You, sometimes you're just not at your best. And sometimes when you're as good as the Avs, you can get away with it. But you're, I hope that this isn't going to be something that becomes a habit. Because if you do this again, you're giving the Kings a shot to beat you. And that is two points that you might need down the stretch. Like I talked about on the Blue Report, the Blue, the Blue Notes podcast, is that this division is going to come down to who plays these bottom teams the best. Because we can pretty much expect that most of these series against the Blues and Golden Knights are probably going to be 4-4 split or 5-3. I doubt there's going to be any like 6-2, 7-1 season series. So the real margins are going to come against these bottom feeder teams. So if you lose out on two points to the Kings, that's just that's just not good. As That's as simple as I can put it. That's, those are two points you cannot afford to lose. And... Yes, it's early in the season, and yes, they did win this game, but it is a cautionary tale. This is something that I don't want to see again, and hopefully something that doesn't become a habit, because only 16 of your games are against St. Louis and Vegas, and four of those games against Vegas come at the same time. So if you take those out of the equation, that's only 12. And you still have, for most of the time, 50, 44 games to play against teams like the Kings and the Ducks and the Sharks and the Coyotes. And if you think that you can come into these games and take a night off, they will make you pay. There are no true awful teams in the NHL. The Kings, in my opinion, are the worst team in this division, and they're still not terrible. Like, they're not Detroit-level bad. They're, like, the parity in the NHL is crazy. Any player can have a hot night and steal a game just because the talent parity in the league is so close. But that's also my point, is that I don't want this team taking nights off or playing 70 or even 80% because they just don't think the Kings or what any team they're facing is on that level. Because while you will get games like Tuesday night where they win three to two and they get the two points and 
when you look at the big picture, there's nothing bad. Eventually, you are going to start missing out on points you should otherwise get. I'm a big believer that you, sh you need to play to the best of your ability every night. And when they play the Kings again, I don't want to see this again. I'm not saying I want to see a 6 nothing blowout. I mean, it's not the score that bothered me. It's how this game progressed. If the Avs didn't break it open with two goals on the power play, how would this game have gone? Would they have gotten another one? Would the Kings have ended up winning this game? You can't be saved by your power play every night. There are times where your power play just doesn't work. And a team as good as the Avs should have more than one goal at even strength against the Kings, and it should not just be a loose puck rebound in front of the net. So that's all I'm saying. I'm not mad at this game. I'm just making an observation. It's not a pattern yet. It's only happened once, and I'm not overly concerned about it yet. But if I do see this again against the Kings on Thursday, win or lose, I'm going to get a little concerned. And then the next night when you play the Ducks, you need you need to show up. You, that's, that's all I'm saying here. You need to show up every night because you need all the points you can get. Teams as good as Vegas and St. Louis are going to push you for every point. And if you give up these easy points against teams like the Kings, which they haven't done yet, they haven't done it yet, but if they do that again, they will. So that's all, that's all I'm saying. I'm not concerned about it yet unless they do it again. Even if they beat the Kings 1-0 or 2-1 on Thursday, as long as they are out there and showing that they are playing their absolute best to the best of their ability, I have no problem with that. There is nothing wrong with an honest close game or an honest loss. It's when you don't give 100 that that'll bother me. But I digress because the Avalanche won the game. They won it 3-2. It didn't go to overtime. It only got to be 3-2 because the Avs let off the gas late and the Kings made them pay. And hopefully that is a lesson learned. And as for Philip Grubauer, he played very well. He stopped most shots that he saw, 23 of 25, and I would say neither of those goals were his fault. And overall, outside of just maybe stepping off the gas a little bit and underestimating the Kings heading into this game, which I believe they did, not a whole lot to complain about yet. And plenty, plenty still to build on if they can beat the Kings again on Thursday and do it again against the Ducks on Friday. They can start a nice little winning streak here and get off to a real nice start to this season. Because, like I said, you got the Kings on Thursday, Ducks on Friday, Ducks again on Sunday. Then you're back home to play the Sharks on the 26th and 28th before finishing out the month with two games against the Wild. So you can have a nice little winning streak here and set yourself up nicely for the future. But you have to show up for all of them. But speaking of the Ducks, I joined the awesome guys Carter Potts and Nate Thomas the host of the Quack Report podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network for a nice little chat about the Avs' upcoming game against the Anaheim Ducks on Friday and Sunday. And we just had a jolly old time catching up about hockey, talking a bit about the Avs' 
I'm going to skip probably the early part of the interview just because it's stuff you guys have all heard already just from me and from the other episode with me on the Blue Notes podcast and cut right to the chase where we start talking about how the Avs match up against the Ducks. Is there any chance that the Ducks can steal one of these games from the Avalanche and basically just how the the Ducks look coming into this season as well. So I hope you guys enjoy my little chat with them and I will talk to you guys once that is wrapped up. Um, we, we've, uh, we've obviously talked already about just how, how much better the Ducks are than the Avs. Uh, well, actually, just kidding. It's more the opposite. But what, <laughs> if the Ducks want to have a chance at, at beating the Avs in this two-game series or, or even making it close, what, what do you think the Ducks need to do? Uh, or like who do they need to shut down or, or anything like that? Well, from what I've seen from the Ducks so far in their first three games, I think they have a shot at doing that so far. And outside okay, of the, that's eight, the, of the interview, thank you very much. Yep, that's <laughs> thank you guys for having me. But, uh, outside the eight nothing game, the Kings actually did a pretty decent job last night at kind of shutting down some of the Avs guys like McKinnon. I mean, eventually the, the Avalanche broke the well a bit in the second period for three straight goals, but for a while the Kings were in control and, I personally like the Ducks' defense a lot, and I think John Gibson is a very underrated goalie just because he had a slight down year last year. People have started to forget just how good he is. So the Ducks definitely have a chance to shut down a lot of that star power. And like we just saw with the the Ducks' one nothing win against the Wild, they're perfectly capable of doing that. I mean, it might, it might not happen twice, but there certainly is a chance that in one of these two games, guys like Manson and Fowler can shut the door and Gibson can just stop every puck he sees. Like the Avs might get 35 shots and not score on one because I'm John Gibson's just that good in my opinion. So if the Ducks do want to win one of these two games, it's going to come down to Gibson. But if the, I do think that if the Avs show up to their full potential, they win both because that's just how good the team is. If they show up and play 100%, I don't think there's really any team that can stop them, but they're, they don't show up 100% every night. And last night they didn't show up 100%. So maybe they'll underestimate the Ducks and a Gibson can take them by surprise. Yeah, I mean, on paper, the Avs are definitely the better team. Like if like you go through their list, I mean, you're starting with Nathan McKinnon. Like it doesn't get much better than that. There's very few players I would put in the whole league I would put above Nathan McKinnon. So and then you you look at other guys like Rantanen, Kadri, uh, looking um, holding down that second line everyone else we've already talked about it's uh yeah there's definitely a lot of firepower if we tend to be slow starters here as the ducks uh so if you guys come out hot and and ready and, and score two quick ones then we're, we're in some deep trouble here so um but yeah thank you for praising gibson we do that all the time on here so. <laughs> he's very very good i'm shocked that people still undervalue him i mean if we want to talk about DraftKings real quick i'm shocked at how cheap gibson is for goalies, I started him basically every night, and I'm I'm winning money now because Gibson he makes like for on DraftKings he's like under seven thousand, which is crazy for a goalie. My opinion, he's a when he's at his best, he's a top five goalie in the league. Yeah, there's a lot of people that disagree with you, and I, I guess uh, the the draft uh, the draft maker or the fantasy makers betting. I don't, I, don't, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but they, they all tend to undervalue him. So, I mean, if you're going for wins, you, you might, there's better goalies you could pick from. But if you're just going like, you know, save percentage and, and goals against and those kind of stats, yeah, Gibson is definitely a good pickup. Gibson alone can steal you a game for a win. 
we saw mm-hmm. it the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And we, we almost saw it again already. Yeah. yeah. That's and that's what I was gonna bring up. I mean, the 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 Ducks took Vegas right to the brink in that second game. Vegas, they only got on the board late. They were they were holding the fort for the most part, and they mm-hmm. can they showed they can do that. They can do it again against the Abs if the Abs give them the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, that, yeah, that's that's really all we had for questions. Uh, questions for you. Um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to this series. Um, like I said, I, I enjoy watching the Avs play, but um, fortunately, I'll, I'll be cheering for the Ducks on this one. So, um, but yeah, do you, do you have anything else you want to bring up, or any questions for us, or or any uh, any things we didn't touch anything we didn't touch on that you uh, you maybe want to talk about? Well, I was curious how you guys see this division playing out and where the Ducks start to fit in with this division. Because personally, for my rankings, I had the Ducks fifth, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they can sneak past the Wild for that final playoff spot because again i rate john gibson very highly and i like the way their defense is built yes they don't have great offense but defense and goaltending alone can sneak you into the playoffs and i wanted to get your guys's take on that yeah i mean that's sorry go ahead oh canadian standoff here we go uh (laughs) i'll take it um yeah the yeah we had them at the the same spot as you uh anaheim at five minnesota just at at four there but um, but we basically just echoed what you said and that, you know, it's, it's very possible that the ducks could, um, could sneak into that fourth spot. If Gibson steals them a couple games or, you know, we have a couple good nights where our, our offense pops off or, or whatever it may be. So a deep playoff run. No, obviously not. Cause we're going to be going up against one of St. Louis, Colorado and Vegas in the first round. And that's just going to be a disaster, but, um, for any team in this division. So, um, so yeah, pretty much exactly what, what you said is how we feel. So. Yeah, I said that uh, even more so than the Ducks play itself and, you know, Gibson stealing a couple games, I said it's really going to depend on Minnesota and uh, Arizona and just how they do, right? Um, Arizona, their hindrance is their goaltending and, you know, the injury bug because as soon as that hits with uh, with them, they go down and it's just tank season at that point. Um, and we make the joke on here all the time of the Minnesota mild and but it's yeah. it's looking a little bit yeah. different this year like they are looking like a bit more of a an energized uh, exciting team so but if they go back into that mild situation right it could really go either of uh you know making the playoffs or missing it so yeah and one one more question i had for you guys had to do with the the prospects on this team because that's that's something i'm not the best with with looking ahead how prospects fit in on a team like what do you guys think of guys like Trevor Zegras, and do you guys see someone like Sam Steele or Troy Terry making a big jump this season that could push the Ducks to another level? Because that's that's what I think is a big wild card with this team is how the young players start to pan out. Well, one big uh, young player that's jumped out right away to start is Max Comtois. Yes, that, that's and what I'm I remember. really excited about that. I think Steele and Terry can be those guys also, um, but uh, I think we are going to see Zegers actually popping up on this roster sooner rather than later. Um, basically, I think it's just going to be once the uh, the San Diego uh, preseason is done, he might be coming up and uh, playing with the big boys already. So I'm excited to see what he can do for sure. Yeah, I'm really excited for Sam Steele. I think he's looked really great in the first couple games playing alongside uh, Max Comtois on that third line. Uh, I don't think he's scored yet i think he's he's earned a couple assists from comtois goals um but don't quote me on that but he, he's looked really good he he looks like a totally different player from from last season so 
Um, and then just because you didn't touch on Drysdale, Nate, um, I'll, I'll mention him as well. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I'm stealing it from you. So, right. um, yeah, no, I think I, I don't know if he's going to play this season. We, we talked about it early on and we were super hyped for it. But, you know, being uh, it's very rare to see a, a defenseman um, come up in, the, in their first year after being drafted. So not out of the realm of possibilities, obviously, but just not common. So I think he might be seen next year, but I think he might get a look similar to Zegris. He might play a few games um, after San Diego's training camp. But I mean, I think he's going to be very good, um, just like Bowen Byram is for you like that. Uh, honestly, I, I want to, I really hope that we find a way to get Byram from you. That's kind of my dream um, because I, I really like that pairing of Drysdale and Byram in the uh, World the Juniors. World Juniors. So yeah. that, that's going to be a good matchup to watch, I think, in, in the future uh, with both of those guys being um, w- number one or number one or number two defensemen, however you want to look at it. So. Mm-hmm. In terms of the changing of the guard for the Ducks, this is Brian Getzlaff's last year of his contract, if I'm not mistaken. Do you guys think this could be it for him, or do you see him coming back for maybe a year or two? I'm not sure yet, honestly. I think it I think it really depends on how this season goes because it's a shortened season, a lot of games. So it's it is a like a lot of games close together, I guess. Yeah, shortened season, but a lot of games. Um yeah, I think it really depends on just how this season feels to him, like physically and mentally, right? If he wants to continue doing this and whatnot, because well, he's got two or three kids at home at this point and everything like that. He doesn't want to be going anywhere else. So I think it's going to be kind of almost like a Zdeno Chara uh, in Boston thing of if the team wants to move on, then he'll hang it up, I think. but Yeah, it's um, – I-, I think we're – I think he's preparing for it at least because in in training camps and in practices we're seeing a lot of him mentoring uh, the younger guys, which I mean he was doing already. But it, it just seems to be, you just Very seem to be seeing it a little bit more now. Um, but I, I, so it's I, I think he would want to come back to the Ducks next year, and if he wants to come back, there's going to be a spot for him. I can pretty much. I, I would be I would put money down on it. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he went somewhere else uh, on a one year deal um, just to, to try and get another cup um, or he maybe he gets shipped at the deadline and uh, and then resigns next year with the ducks again or something like that. but I, I could see him moving on briefly, but I don't really know. And maybe Nate feels a little bit differently. Yeah, I don't see him doing the uh, the Patrick Marlowe. We'll call it that of going away for a little bit, come back and that sort of thing. He's, you know, he is grounded, I think, at this point in Anaheim, um, be it for both the Ducks and the city itself. So, yeah, I don't see him really going anywhere. So He's definitely going to retire as a Duck. So. Yeah. Yeah, that, I don't think that would be in question at all. I mean, he's a like, he's a lifetime Duck. Just, yeah. I can't even picture him in another jersey. That, that'd be just weird it's weird it's very <laughs> yeah. weird yeah <laughs> as soon as i said it i was like oh no i'm gonna get like attacked on twitter probably so <laughs> oh it, does it turns out twitter you might just get attacked anyway but yeah, yeah. <laughs> ryan gets left to the least confirmed right right oh yeah they get everybody yeah toronto but, is the new detroit that's where everybody goes now for their last yeah. chance it seems <laughs> yeah doesn't matter how little cap space they have yeah they find a way <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, yeah. It, anything else you want to talk about here, Griffin? Or how do you guys see these two games going against the Avs? Do you have any score predictions? Oh for yes, that's Friday what and what is it Sunday? Um, 
<laughs> yeah, like it, like we talked about, it, it could kind of go either way. Um, I, I'm going to, in no particular order, I'm going to call a a 2-1 win for the Ducks. Um, nice low-scoring defensive game. Um, and I'm also going to say a, a 4-1 win for the, for the Avs. So in some order, but I, I think that's how it's going to shake down. So split the opening series 1-1. I'm going to be a bit more of the pessimist. I think that first game, Colorado's really going to just throw everything. Or actually, no, now that I think about it, it's going to be that second game because I feel like Colorado could also be the team to, you know, not take it as seriously maybe because it's, you know, it's the Ducks. Um, I think it's still going to be wins for the Avs on both sides for at least these first two games. Uh, The first one, I'll say it'll be like 3-2 or 3-1. Uh, but that next one, I would think Colorado would really come out, and uh, I'm going to say like a 5-2 game. So, I think I would agree with that. I think I think the Ducks personally, I think I think what something you said makes a lot of sense that Avs might take it not seriously because it's the Ducks, and I think the Ducks are going to have an advantage with that this season with like the big three in the division because I do think they're they're they have a good enough defense and good enough goaltending to surprise a lot of teams on a nightly basis. And they can, they can get two goals a night, no matter how little they have on their offense. But I think for these two games, I see the first one, a four, two abs win. And then I see the second one, a three, two abs win, probably in overtime, just if Gibson is up to the task, because the abs are probably going to pepper him with shots. If the ducks defense isn't up to it, but over the course of the season-long series, I think this is going to be a lot closer than people would expect. And that, not just for the Avs, but I think for teams like Vegas and the Blues, just because something I've mentioned a lot on my show before is that you only play the Blues and Golden Knights if you're the Avs 16 times out of 56 games. And you still got 40 games to play against maybe teams that you wouldn't consider to be your equal. And we can torch the Coyotes, as we've seen in the postseason with those back-to-back seven to one wins and the wild don't have the best goaltending. What the team I'm most concerned about out of all of them is the ducks because I do like their defense and I do like their goaltending and that can steal games a lot of the time. I don't think it'll happen in these first two games just because I think the abs are going to be firing to start the season. But over the course of the next six games, I think the ducks can maybe steal three of those games. Hey, Take what we can get, especially yeah. even uh, that overtime one that you're talking about, points a point. Yeah, points are points. Yeah, especially with how close I think the that race for the, the number four spot is going to be. Every point's going to matter. So, yeah, we'll, we'll we would definitely take that any day. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I think this was a good talk. Uh, thank you again for for coming on, Griffin. Um, yeah, we'll just give you an opportunity here to to plug your podcast and any social handles and anything else you want to want to plug here at the end. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, if you guys want to listen to my show, you can find it on the Hockey Podcast Network. Tell it, abs it is, abs with a V, obviously. Uh, if you guys want to find my work on fansided.com, you can follow me on Twitter at NHL, and there's a link to all my fansided works in the bio. Uh, if you want to follow the show, it's tell it, abs it is, and obviously following the Hockey Podcast Network is at HockeyPod, and that's where you can find all of my work for the time being i'm i'm very easy to find (laughs) awesome well yeah thanks again and uh yeah we'll we'll talk to you you know at some point i'm sure later on in the season yeah thank you guys so much for having me on again i really appreciate it yeah for sure
anytime. And that was my chat with the awesome guys at the Quack Report podcast. Again, that is Nate Thomas and Carter Potts. You can follow them at Carter underscore Potts 97 or sorry, Carter underscore Potts underscore 97 on Twitter and at Tayton Hamas and follow their show at Quack Report Pod. I think these games against the Ducks that are upcoming, like I said, are going to be pretty interesting because I think the Ducks out of all these, I, I mean, I like to call them bottom feeder teams, even though that's a little rude, but out of the teams that are not the the Golden Knights and the Blues, I think the Ducks have the best chance at shutting down the Avs' lethal offense with goaltending like John Gibson, like I've said, I'm really impressed by and I think he's one of the better goalies in the league and very underrated and like I said I like the way their defense is structured so they can definitely drag that game into being a a two-to-one slog if the abs aren't careful if they if they do what they did against the Kings on Tuesday and take their foot off the gas and or expect an easy win coming in I can make a pretty safe bet that they will not win so the Avs need to show up against the Ducks. And if they do, like I said on the show, they'll win. I think the Ducks will make it close, but the Avs are the better team. We can all acknowledge that. The Avs are the better team in this situation. And as long as they show up and play their game, they will win. I don't have any question about that. But that is going to do it for me today on this edition of the Tell It Avs. It is podcast the next time you hear from me on monday we will have three whole games in the books we will have thursday's game against the los angeles kings wrapped up and then friday's game against the ducks wrapped up and we will play the ducks again on sunday night the night that i will be recording and you will hear from me again on monday but thank you all so much for tuning in once again i really do appreciate it there is no show without all of you once again this show is brought to you by DraftKings. use promo code thpn when you sign up to get exclusive offers but that'll be it for me today thank you so much for tuning in i have been your host griffin youngs and i will catch you all next time